You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories. So much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wheels in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Tuna Town Talks. I'm here today with owner, founder of Mexican Gulf Fishing Company, great mentor in Boston, mine, Captain Billy Wells. What's going on, man? Oh, not much, man. Just happy to be here. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, I've always wanted to uh, kind of talk to you about how you got into fishing because, I mean, I always tell like a lot of the other deckhands and stuff is like you guys started with so much little lot less information than what we get to start with because we get to start from learning from all of your mistakes and everything that you've already learned and um we got a huge advantage but uh <clears throat> like wh- how did you cut your teeth in fishing and like what got you into fishing um well, where'd just, you grow up all that kind of stuff i just i grew up fishing just uh i don't know man for i can remember some of the, my youngest uh Memories were me standing on the front porch of my parents' house, uptown New Orleans, when it rained too much and it flood. I'd be standing on those stairs fishing, and I, I was completely convinced I was going to catch something in that flood water. But uh, <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it was. It just I, I don't ever remember really doing much, ever any kind of vacation, family vacation, anything where fishing wasn't involved. I was lucky enough. My parents fit well. My dad was a big fisherman. You know, I had two brothers two sisters a couple of them are pretty big fishermen so we we just we were fishing family and and everybody in your family did it for the most part for the most part my mom wasn't a a a real big fisherman but she was always fun to have on the boat because no matter what we did she always caught the biggest one (laughs) it's kind of embarrassing for someone you know she's off looking at a flower or something and a rod bends over and it's always the biggest one but it's it's weird how people have that luck about it it is the damnedest thing i can't (laughs) i certainly can't describe it but uh that's that's certainly the way it was and how many siblings i got two brothers two sisters and, and big family yep and uh my my mom's side of the family's from montgomery alabama and they have a my grandfather had a house on Lake Jordan up there, so we would spend a month out every summer when I was a kid up there, and he had a house right outside of Sandessen on C thirty A, so we'd spend a month there fishing off the beach. 
Oh, so, I can see how that could I mean, really yeah, like, get I just, you hooked. Like, really, you know, literally the day we would get out of school for summer, we would all pile into Suburban with my mom, and we'd be gone for three months. Really? And, yeah. So it, you got every every summer you guys went. You every guys summer we'd check out. We man, what an awesome childhood. It was, it was <laughs> man, it – that's freaking awesome. I wish I could give that to my kids these days, but it's just it gets harder and harder to yeah, provide yeah. that kind of childhood. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that that's, takes a lot of dedication from like your parents and everything to well, dedication and money, money and, and yeah, you know, everything. I mean, you know, you know, you can't go. I certainly couldn't afford to go stay somewhere for a month at a time, and but you know, when you lucky enough to have someone in the family own a place there yeah it's just food and yeah it's basically know, like the yeah, same just thing living. living at home yeah you're either you're at home somewhere or else you yeah know? yeah that's awesome man that your parents were willing to make those sacrifices to you know but yeah that's that's, that's how that's, awesome. that's how i cut my my some of my first <laughs> offshore trips ever we had a 16 foot j skiff lund might as well, wasn't a Lund. I don't think it was a Luma well or Luma Craft or some kind of. But it might as well be a Lund. It was a 16 <laughs> foot J skiff, uh, V bottom skiff that we put a 15 horse, uh, 15 horsepower, 15 horsepower hand till Johnson motor on the back of it, and we'd go out and catch Spanish mackerel and king mackerel and chicken <laughs> dolphin. And, and I remember I was 14 years old. I told my dad, I said, "Man, this, this, I need bigger game, like." We need to catch something bigger. And he, he told me, he said, look, I'll tell you what. My grandfather had a whole rack of rods and reels. And, of course, they're all beat-up senators and fiberglass rods. And there was this one spinning rod I had my eyes on. But all the guides were all rotting off everything. He said, if you redo that rod, I will buy you a, a, a reel for it. And then you, we try and catch whatever you want to catch. And so I, well, I took it and I whittled all those guides off and I and I sat there but I didn't have a wrapper I sat there and spun the rod by hand and, and put the thread on it and put all new guides on it my dad <laughs> bought me a 750 pin SS spinning reel 15 pound test first day we took that son of a bitch out we right past the second sandbar I catch a 45 pound wahoo 45 pound wahoo 45 pound wahoo in a 16 foot v bottom skiff with a 15 horse hand tail where on a rod. out of where say right right east of sandestin <laughs> that's crazy 80 pound monofilament leader a wow ballyhoo, the first ballyhoo i've ever rigged land. in my life you oh could, could you see you could <laughs> swim there and back to you could swim from the boat to land and back that's crazy man so that's that's how I started offshore fishing. I guess I just <laughs> so that was like the first time that with was that reel, actual like, like excursion. What I say, like, actual blue water reel, yeah, offshore fish I ever caught. I mean, I <laughs> caught chicken dolphin, I caught king mackerel and stuff, but that was the first one when it was like, man, that's this, this that's freaking it. awesome. Like this that's <laughs> that's a lucky. <laughs> well, you think that's lucky? It gets even worse. Or better for me, I guess. We we gaff it. We pull it on a boat. Hell, I didn't even know what the hell it was when I caught it, really. You didn't know I, it was a wahoo. I've never seen what a, I mean, I knew it was a wahoo, but I didn't know it was a wahoo. You know, just from looking at Florida Sportsman Magazine, I figured it was a wahoo, but I'd never seen a wahoo in person. Throw it in the boat, come back in real quick, and next thing you know, we throw it in uh, – we didn't have an ice chest big enough for it, so we throw it in a bathtub put a bunch of ice on it ice it down <laughs> and uh i was like man we got to get a weight on this thing and the closest place to us was ha half hitch tackle comp uh tackle store yeah. in destin so we throw it in the back of the truck and like some tarps or something with some ice on we bring it there 
I still got a picture of it this day. Me as a little big kid standing there with my dad weighing this fish, weighed 45 pounds. And it just so happened that that month they had a uh, – uh, a month-long rodeo going at the tackle store for whoever catches the biggest wahoo. It was wahoo and bonita, I think, or something like that that month. <laughs> and I got a, I, I won like a $200 gift certificate for winning the biggest wahoo of the month. <laughs> that's lucky, man. That's yeah. wild. That is, yeah. That's pretty cool. But Absolutely. I, you know, like, it's so cool to hear stories like that because, like, for me, like, there's like always like a certain catch or something that happens or something you think about like you want to catch it so bad and then it happens and it's like the most cool feeling in the whole world like you'll remember that for the rest of your life absolutely that's <laughs> that's so cool to, to hear a story like that man. no it was good you were stuff. 14 right 14 oh that's wild so um i think it was actually the first time i'd ever cursed in front of my dad too because <laughs> he looked at it swam <laughs> under the boat and he said he had like a a, a a two foot hand gaff and he's like, Man, I can't gaff that. I said, You fucking better <laughs> And he's like, Oh <laughs> what are we supposed to what are we supposed to do about this? <laughs> he gaffed it. That's what he did. <laughs> That's funny. So um what happened from there? I mean you're fourteen, you went through high school, you went to did you go went, to college? Yeah, went through high school, fishing the whole time, went to college, did a couple years, not very successful years at L S U. Um Wound up deciding that I wanted to think about maybe trying to design boats, you know. Really? Got, you got wanted to be like water. a – Yeah. You wanted to like so, build boats. Yep. So I switched to UNO, which is one of the uh, like three programs in the country, actually, that it has a naval architecture program. So I switched to naval architecture at UNO, and I did naval architecture for a year or two until I got to the level of classes where I was <laughs> – really having to understand a hard time understanding what my teachers were saying they weren't american it just right i, I don't know i just was having a hard time understanding what they're saying and i'm thinking man with a mechanical engineering degree i can work in a shipyard with a naval architecture degree i can work in a shipyard but mechanical you can work Anywhere. all kind yeah. yeah so i wound up switching my major from naval architecture mechanical engineer i wound up graduating mechanical engineer it was uh, a struggle. Took really? Me a long I didn't know that. I didn't know you yeah. were an engineer. Yep. No it took idea. a long, long time. I had a lot of semesters where I dropped out. You know, you get a call <laughs> from someone around the boat, say, hey, you want to go to Mexico? Hell yeah, I want to go to Mexico. Drop, drop, drop. I'm gone. So, <laughs> and anyway, it sets you back another Yeah, sets you back another Usually, pretty, not even a semester, because a lot of times once you get to a certain level, you know, they only offer classes certain semesters. So, you got to – it sets you back a year sometimes. Oh, but, God. Man, it's all experiences. I when I was going through it, I pretty much knew that I wasn't ever going to – man, I'm not about sitting about under a bunch of fluorescent lights looking at a computer. Like, right. that's just – that's not yeah. me. That's not what I'm ever going to do. So, uh, it was something I wanted to prove to myself that I could do. I did it and went right back to fishing. Right. Was it a big big draw from your parents to go to college as well? No. Not no, really? I, it was I, just I mean, something to prove to yourself, really? Well, sure. You know, it was kind of expected when you came out of high school you were going to go to college. But, yeah. I mean, I never – I felt like that was mostly expected for me. Like, all my family were, like, college graduates. And whenever I decided not to go, it was kind of like, all right, well, what are you going to do? Well, and, then, <laughs> and that's what I tell my son all the time. I say, look, you're going to college. Yeah. You're going to give it a year. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Yeah. But you're going to go. You're going to try it. I mean, it's just – college is fun. Yeah. It's a hell of an experience. I mean, yeah. I think everybody should – I mean, it don't. if it's not working for you, 
don't beat your head against that wall, you know. Right, Just, right. But give it a year. Give it a see shot. See what it's up, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot different than the other, the other school, high school. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the, you're forced on that one. You, you got, Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little different for sure. So you would get calls like w- whenever you were in college, were you fishing down here in um, in Venice and stuff? Yep, or? I sure was. When I was sure. your first time coming to Venice? Let's see, I started coming to Venice in high school. My dad was my dad was a radiologist, and he was he worked at Lakeside Hospital. And another guy, uh, Anar Abair, had a thirty six foot topaz down here, the Liberty Bell, and he just all he did was marlin fish. It mm. was it was really kind of weird, actually, because he didn't even he didn't want to catch fish because his wife was allergic to fish and he didn't eat fish. So it's just all he wanted to do was, was just sport fish, yeah, hundred percent sport. Like you go fish for two days, and if he caught nothing, it it didn't phase him. Like he didn't care. No, he was out on the boat. He just only wanted to catch marlin. So anyway, I started fishing with him in high school as a deckhand, just marlin fishing. And, and man, once I got down here and saw Venice and. <laughs> catch a few marlins like. oh my god it was it was quite i mean i'd never really like i said the closest thing i'd ever been offshore was that little skiff we were talking about right and, and what years would that have been like in the 90s or? i'd be like 91 92 oh wow 93 yeah, yeah. yeah the wasn't much down here then. no no <laughs> cypress cove didn't exist wow it was just it was just venice marina uh it was owned by the ballets ballets yep um they're really i mean in and there was no like this whole bay boat fleet now. It, that was like they didn't even have all. bay boats yeah, then, right? It was before all that. So I just did one. With you didn't Ronnie. have you didn't have the offshore outboard power boats either, really. Yeah, that it whole was like fleet there. Nothing. Yeah. It was old Hatteras's. It was Topaz, old Bertrams. That was it. Yeah, yeah, and bass boats, right? You know? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's I mean, crazy. they had, like, skiff-type stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, I never realized that when I was talking to Ronnie the other day, he said that um, whenever there was a big difference whenever they came out with the bay boat that would hold, you know, 60, 70 gallons of gas versus their bass boats that were holding, you know, 20, 30 gallons. It gave you so much more range. You well, know? not only that, it, it also, I mean, a bass boat is a great tool for certain things, but a 21-foot bass boat, 20-foot bass boat is only going to do so much compared right. to a 24-foot yeah, or 26 real deal yeah. bay boat. You know yeah. I mean? It's just you're not going and fishing. Just get a little bit of chop. and I mean, dude, you got to look back at the time whenever you started then and you look around in Venice now and all the boats and tools that we have to use. It's just we're just so much better now, right? It, <laughs> it's really not fair for the fish. <laughs> it's really not. I mean, it's the stuff we have now. Yeah. They don't stand a chance. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they can just not bite, but they right. got to bite eventually. They got eventually and they're going to. You you And got somebody's going to be there if it's calm. <laughs> it's somebody's I mean, going to be there. It's just <laughs> It's a shame, really, yeah. for the fish, but <laughs> good for us for the fishermen, I guess. <laughs> so you grew up fishing with him and y'all mostly marlin fished and then like what like what was the next like what was your next step after you became an engineer i guess you kind of fished down here in well, college too or yeah yeah well i fished my way through school i fished with him for a handful of years and then he kind of got to the point he was an older fella he kind of got to the point where he kind of felt that he didn't need to be out there anymore and and uh i was in school and i was lucky enough to have my dad help me buy a old 25 foot 1985 25 foot mako 
that I started fishing out of down here and and twenty five Mako, huh? Man, can't beat them, <laughs> dude. It's wild, right? <laughs> I have a bay boat now. My bay boat is twenty eight feet and it's got twin two hundreds. This thing was twenty five feet, had twin one seventy fives. Like the <laughs> the 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 difference. You would go tuna fishing. I mean, that, the, huh? yeah, I would go to Mars and Earth in this thing. Wow. Yeah. Two, that was two-stroke engines? That was actually, unfortunately for me, that was the uh, brand-new Johnson Fitched motors. <laughs> oh, man, and you were taking that thing <laughs> all the way out great. there. They huh? were not great. That's wild. They man. were not great. I can't imagine running out there on some two-stroke Johnsons. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can imagine running out there on, like, old, old two-stroke Johnsons that work, but not those Fitch motors, man. <laughs> they weren't. I had, I had a guy tell me one time, it, said, huh? man, at least they could have put a shackle on there so you could use it as an anchor. <laughs> and that was very fitting for that motor. <laughs> very, very fitting. Yeah, the dependable, the dependability of the motors now, that blows my mind. I still think about it just from, like, my lifetime, whenever we were, you know, 10, 11, which was not that long ago. It's crazy the dependability. Like you can head out, you know, knowing that. Yeah, and the the economy about. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's unreal. The 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 changes that I've seen in sizes of boats and outboard technology and electronic technology is just man, it's just off the charts. <laughs> it's like if I could take this boat that I got a forty two Freeman quad three hundreds, oh fuck. Full suite of Simrad electronics, bad ass. If I could take that boat right now, back in '91. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, you could sink the boat every day. <laughs> I can't imagine the. Well, do man. you think there's a big difference in the biomass now, or do you think that it's just like I? Sometimes I feel like none of the rigs ever get that much of a break, you know. If somebody, if you go fish over at Mars and Ursa, well, somebody's probably at Nikika that day too. Whereas back in the day, you know, if you went to Mars and Ursa, there might not be anybody yeah, over well, look, that way. Back in the day, there was no Mars and Ursa. Right. It was Mars. There was just Mars. That was it. Mm. I mean, uh, that we we didn't. I don't even really think when I started fishing, it didn't even really. Nobody even called it Mars. Everybody just called it the fifty mile floater. Really. 50-mile floater? 50-mile floater. Because it was, like, the only one out there. Wow. I mean, it was. And it was 50 miles from Southwest Pass. 50 huh? miles from South Pass. And, man, let me tell you, the first time I ever saw it, because the guy I used to fish with, he never, man, he he just, he wasn't going far offshore. And one day I finally talked him into going out there. And yeah, because, like, I they would like, go to, like, Cognac. Yeah. And shit like that. We'd fish, con we'd fish Cognac all <laughs> the time. You'd go to Cognac, you'd put out your baits and troll and hope you find a line or something. But, but uh, man, I, I saw the tuna. I was like, man, how in the world could you ever come here and not catch fish? I mean, there was tunas like you could walk on them, really everywhere. Every time you went, it, well, Seems first like couple it. times, yeah, yeah. first couple times, <laughs> yeah. That's but, wild. You know, you go enough, and eventually you hit it on an off day, and you realize, <laughs> don't matter where you go, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, it that the amount of pressure now is. When I first started running charters, probably in about what boat were you? Whenever you first started running that charters, Mako. that Mako, yeah, in college you were running charters, yep. yeah, and that was probably about ninety six, around ni nineteen ninety six. Yeah, I remember my on during the summer my normal trip is I would go straight to one hundred and nine, and I troll around, and you always caught fish there. 
Right. It might not always be yellow fin, but you'd always catch at least some black fins. You'd troll a couple diving baits, a couple of daisy chains, some ballyhoo, whatever. You'd catch something. And if it wasn't yellow fin, if it wasn't working, there was nothing else out there, I would just put it on autopilot and start trolling out to the southeast. And just about every day, you'd run across a whale shark or a weed line or something. Something would be with out some there. fish, yeah. But I'm not saying we crushed them every day back then because, believe it or not, we catch way more fish now than we did back then. Cause really? we're that much better now than we were yeah, back then. Yeah, we're that much better. You got more space, right? Cooler size. I didn't have I – mean? I had a live well on that boat, but I couldn't use it because if I used it, I felt like I was sinking. <laughs> so I couldn't use it. <laughs> on the makeup? Yeah. <laughs> I had to caulk it closed and turn all the seacocks off to keep it empty so I would have – that because if it was full – then it was just it was too much. Well, what was your shit back then? Since you guys weren't live bait, was it like ballyhoos? Like that was we troll ballyhoo. We troll rapalas, yeah. the god awful pink mirror lures, um, <laughs> daisy chains, stuff like that. Yeah, huh? just anything. They had yeah. mirror lures back then. Yeah, like the the pink ones. Yep. Wow, mirror lures the truth, huh? <laughs> Man, they they've caught a bunch of tunes, a bunch of trout, a bunch of redfish, a bunch of wahoos, a bunch of bunch of stuff. Yeah, no doubt. They're no finicky, doubt. but when they're running, they do work well. Yeah, no doubt. So, what what was your next boat after the Mako? I fished a Mako for Oh, hell. Well, more uh, importantly, I wanted to ask you how like how did you get into charter fishing? Was there somebody that like came up to you and was like, "Hey, will you take us fishing?" No, or? well, I I actually I kind of you know, you get into this and you realize pretty quick that you can't afford to just go all the time. Just yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, you're in college. Right. I mean, it's it's brutal. So I was trying and 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 I kind of joke about this every now and again with some of my friends that I remember the first flyer that I made for my new charter company. I actually had a pager number on it. That's how old I am. <laughs> There was no cell phones, man. I had a freaking pager number on it. You had to I page never even me. used a pager. So. You had to page me, and I'd call you back from my parents' landline. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, right? <laughs> so anyway, I was doing that for a while, and, man, it's hard. It's a whole lot easier now with the Internet. To get your all, name yeah, out there, with right? the Internet yeah. and all this other kind of stuff. You really Nowadays, you really don't even have to ever have caught a fish. You just stand at the dock and take pictures of fish and attach them to your name and that's all i mean you, you can get, fake it yeah. yeah you can fake it till you, you make fake it, it. Now. back then there was no faking it, it there was, was not nearly the desire as there is now no the, no like, fishing I mean, has just absolutely exploded in the last at least 10 years ago. yeah i mean thank god for a mike frenette and uh kevin frelish and and hell even a piece marvel i mean they really got the ball rolling down here and and open up doors for people like myself and that's and that's actually how i started i ran a couple of trips here and there and just not really not enough to go on and i would see peace every day he had a little bitty ass 22 foot glacier bay not even 26 22 that's foot small glacier bay dude. with twin 90 horsepower motors every day going out tuna fishing booked every day he was booked every day, huh? Well, damn near, you know, yeah. close enough. Close enough. Close right, enough yeah. to where I didn't really know him. I walked up to him on the dock one day and introduced myself, and I was like, hey, look, you know, if you ever got any overflow. And sure enough, next thing you know, I was pretty much working for Real Peace Charters, and I ran that Mako for a while. And then what he, was what year was that whenever you started with Peace? Oh, damn. I, I'd be lying if I told 97. I mean. Somewhere early. Yeah, 97, 98. Late 90s. Yeah. yeah. Late 90s, yeah. yeah. Definitely late 90s. And then uh, 
from there, he, he, he bought a 26 Glacier Bay. And he wound up buying another one, and I wound up running one of his 26 Glacier Bays and did that for a while and eventually wound up buying my own 26 Glacier Bay and just been growing ever <laughs> since. So at whenever you switched from a Glacier Bay, what was the next move? 33 Freeman. That was in the Freeman, okay. Yep. So how, how, did that, how did all that come about, Freeman – coming down here they come to you did you go to them yeah that's pretty wild too he he uh he actually called called me and uh billy never, did yeah never heard of him before i think his father-in-law had fished with someone in our fleet mm -hmm. down here knew we liked catamarans and knew we tuna fish and all that kind of stuff and he called me and asked me if i thought about buying a bigger boat and and at the time, I'd been dying to buy a bigger boat, but there wasn't the only, you know, there was a couple stuff out there, but it was nothing that I wanted, nothing I was willing to spend my money on. And you were always a cat hole guy, huh? No. I mean, I, mean, I guess you went to the Mako and then the Glacier I mean, not, Bay I mean, and you then know, the Freeman's I'm hole. old enough to where it's impossible to say always a cat yeah, guy because they didn't right. even have cats back then. Right. But once I spent time on 26 Glacier Bay, I, I could see the, the, the benefits. Benefit, yeah. Sure. They just they, they weren't pretty. <laughs> no, no, they were, but I mean they were rock solid and right. no matter how hard I tried to kill it, I couldn't. And man, we killed a lot of fish in that boat. I mean it was right. You know, at the time, it was it, it was, was rock the boat star, to be you know? in. Yeah, <laughs> at the time it was a rock star. I don't. I, you you certainly struggle nowadays with the speed, but other than that, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he called me and and uh, we talked for a while and I told him yeah. I said, absolutely. If someone would buy the, if someone would build the boat that I'm looking for, I would buy it. And he goes, well, what are you looking for? So I'm looking for something, you know, 30, low 30 something. And uh, he goes, all right, that's exactly what I want to build. And he goes, well, what about this? And and it kind of became a thing where he wound up, he really pretty much built that first, the layout of the first boat a lot to 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 my specs that you know he'd call me occasionally be like well, what do you think about this and i'd tell him what do you think about that and you know and so it was like kind of like your your dream in college of building boats you kind of got to help out in a way with that right <laughs> yeah well i mean not with any kind of i mean i certainly didn't have any whole design right ideas. right I mean, we're right. talking layout you know yeah but, you're talking layout and stuff but i mean i think that's i mean i think that's pretty essential to what freeman is today you know like i mean i mean it's kind of like you get so many reps, you know what you want as a fisherman. You know what you want on the boat, and that's like, I mean, if you're building a, f a boat that's dedicated to the fishing industry, I mean, your input was essential to to making that Freeman happen. You know. Well, yeah, he cool. put he put that first boat together. And he brought it down here for like three days, and we fished. We all fished on it, and man, we were blown away. Wasn't and that a wood hole? Yeah, yeah, and. uh he had a couple things on the the first one he built. Like he had a, a, a dive walkthrough in the back that I didn't want. He had uh, Suzuki's. Uh, at the time, I was a big Yamaha guy, so I didn't want them. Um, so the T-top was kind of not quite how I wanted it. So anyway, there was a couple things. What year was this anyway? Once again, man. I, I mean, first Freeman coming uh, down here. They said they started in 2007, so maybe somewhere in there. Yeah, we, we started it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that was I signed, that was hole number one. Then yeah, that was. I signed right his first. Yep, I signed his first contract. He wound up taking that boat home, and a while later we talked, and and he didn't. We kind of didn't really want to change the one he had already because there was nothing wrong with it. So I just signed a contract on the next one, 
and so then he built me the next one and, and i had a 30 that was a wood hole too it was a wood hole as yeah well. and it was badass man i mean that was the most still to this day i think that was the most badass for the size for everything that it was was the most badass boat i've ever had but people have a negative idea about wood holes if you do it right i mean every 69 and hatteras and bertram and all that shit you see on the docks tied up and these yeah you know small marinas up and down the gulf coast i mean that's all those are all wood 100 percent wood yeah hell all the big name custom boats nowadays a lot of them are still wood yeah my brother was just telling me the other day there was a 1970s sailboat that's like right next to his or whatever and it's all wood. He just paints it once a year. He takes wood. it out the water, and that's if you crazy. Do, I mean, if you take care, you gotta of it, know how to take care of it. If it's done right, and you take care of it, now you can't go drilling holes, can't do doing a bunch of yeah. you know stuff that maybe you could with fiberglass. But I mean, they're solid, solid, strong. They're quiet. It's such a quiet ride. Really? I mean, it's just that boat was phenomenal. You don't find any wood holes anymore. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Be hard because, pressed to find one. For well, sure. because it's it's so labor intensive. Really, to build when, it. So the, the process is so much more different. Right? The first, the the boat I bought from Billy Freeman, the 33 I bought from Billy Freeman, I had to, I I, I drove up there one weekend uh, or one week after he had started it to uh, drop off my engines to it. And he was in a garage with two other workers. And he personally had a fairing block in his hand sanding the hull. Wow. That's I mean, amazing. it's a labor of love when you get a, That's a, a wood block. How much passion How that much had to take. passion and in, in, in man Dedication and motivation. And dedication and and just not, not even knowing if it's going to work, really, because you're trying to make something happen. I mean, that you had to be nervous as, like, a buyer, right? What? <laughs> like, what made, what made you put all this trust into Billy that he was – I mean, I guess he had one already made. I mean, I guess that's – I can't even answer that question. I don't even know. I mean, because, like, I get nervous enough, like, getting a new boat with something you know that's been built before. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, well, and it's a custom boat, so you're paying as you go. It's not like. Oh, yeah. You can't, like. No, yeah. it's not like at the end of the build you owe 200000 or whatever it is. You go to you the know, bank you, and do it. You right? do them quarterly. You, you, you pay them. If it's 200 you pay them 50 each quarter. So Right. And that was kind of, you know, like, man, I don't mean to sound morbid or whatever, but what happens if. In a couple months, you get hit by a damn bus walking across the street, and this yeah. boat's halfway done. And yeah, you're. <laughs> I can't finish it. I don't know. Right, what the you hell, don't know, you know what's going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. It was extremely nerve wracking. I bet, man. And that's that's crazy. I can't even imagine it. I mean, I guess like there was nothing. Was it was it Billy that just really wanted a boat down here in Venice that kind of got you to where you wanted to, like get it or like i just kind of it was it was the boat the boat you just like i mean it was him yeah it was the boat and he's a no nonsense i mean ain't no bullshit with him it's just right whatever he says he's gonna do he's he's a straight shooter right and yeah that has to have a lot of value pretty much the way i am you know like i don't i don't want to like if you can do something tell me you can do it and then do it right you know if you can't do it tell me you can't do it and we'll figure it out. Yeah. But don't. And as smoke, a charter captain, you, know? you kind of you learn to get a good read on people. I feel like just doing what we do, around people every day. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely I, helps. <laughs> you know, we kind of hit it off, and I don't know. I still don't know what. To this day, I can't tell you exactly what made me take that leap of faith. Wow. 
<laughs> That's pretty cool, man. So you got that Freeman, and then, like, what, was everybody around here jealous or what? <laughs> Not quite yet. Not quite yet? It took a little while, but they got there. <laughs> <laughs> you went from a 33 to a 37? I went from 33. I had that 33 for – I had that boat for a long while. I think I had that boat for, like, five, six years. And then, really? yeah, then I went to a 37, then a 42, then another 42. and Wow. <laughs> just keep snowballing huh? yep yep and then like on your 37 you guys had you guys had trips right you don't see yep. the freemans with trips anymore what was the deal with that um man it worked pretty good and i think it would be a great private boat where we just put too many hours and that center motor just did some cavitating and yeah to be honest like talking to him i think that he started with a triple motor, and then once he realized how good the quad motor boat yeah, ran, he just and everything. Yeah, uh, I have no doubt he could make that work. And then what the boat started selling for—it's like if you're going to spend this much, you might as well. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're spending a half a million. Who cares about another motor? Right, might as well just go ahead and yeah. put another let's, one on. Let's it. do seventy yeah. rock and roll. <laughs> Right. Was that like what was your big thing? Like was it ever like speed and getting there fast for you or was absolutely. that Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> Mercury that, stands true to that. <laughs> but but that was about the time that yell uh, that uh contender contender was coming out with their 36 foot and so there was fast boats then, you know. There was it, it was past the time of the 26 Glacier Bay. It was kind of that was the dinosaur already. It happened that quick. And you had the 36 contender, and it had triple 250s, and they were cruising and getting there. And, I mean, you know, being first isn't everything, but it helps. being last, <laughs> you don't want to be last, you know. Definitely don't want to be last. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, being, being first definitely helps. How fast was that wood hole, the 33? Uh, when I bought it, it had twin 250s. And it was a little bit underpowered. I, I I would cruise, I believe, around 40, I think. And then I wound up repowering it with 350s. And that, that bumped it up, pushing 50 cruise. So Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Just that fast, cruising 50. <laughs> Man. How you liking this yellowfin vodka? Is it all right? It's pretty damn tasty. You like it? Yeah, it's pretty tasty. Cool. Never had a brown vodka before. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the charred vodka. It's uh, it's different. I like it, but it is different. It's acquired taste for sure. But, um, yeah, I guess um, moving on, I mean, you guys, what? Um, tell us about how you start, like you guys decide to start Mexican Gulf Fishing Company. Well, all of us worked for Real Peace Charters at the time, and uh, – you, Kevin, me, Kevin, and a bunch of other friends, and uh, we, uh, well, Peace sold it to another guy, and I always had a bit of a loyalty to Peace. He kind of, you know, he helped me out when he I gave was, you a shot. Yeah, right? he 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 kind of, you know, not kind of. He he helped me along, and and uh, I mean. Without him, I, I have no doubt that I still would be sitting here doing the same thing, but it, it just would have taken longer. It would have been tougher, you know. So he, right, he definitely right. helped me. And uh, when he was no longer owning it, I was less likely to stick around. Right. And, you know, you start to see some things that you think you can do a little better. 
see some customer service stuff that you think should be better and right you know it only takes so long of seeing certain things before you figure that you, you, you pull yeah. the plug and do yeah, it let's right? just you know and you do it long enough you got enough people that you know are going to fish with you because they've been fishing with you and right it's just the natural order of things you know eventually you get to the you outgrow your britches and you, you move on you know right so, right so that's what we did started mexican golf and it was you and Kevin and Rimmer, me, Kevin, right? me, Kevin, and Rimmer Covington, and we kind of all three of us got together, and we were thinking, you know, there's a lot of things that we wanted to do. We wanted to do Miami Boat Show. We want to do this. We want to do that. But it's kind of hard, number one, as a single person. You know, finances just made more sense with multiple people doing it to do some of the things we wanted to do. Plus, it was easier for us because all three of us each had our own followings. It was easier for us to get together and do it all at once and just share all of our overflow together than it was for each of us to have our own thing and then try and piece. try and build three yeah, pie, three websites yeah, instead try, of one website. Exactly. <laughs> try and piece it together. And that was part of the one of the man, websites are expensive. Right. And that was kind of the one of the the costs I was just talking about. Like you get three people put in, you can have a badass website. You get one person put in. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. You know, it's hard. You know, so. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's that's how that came about. And I don't know. It just. Kind of just snowballed. It was just kind of a really a perfect storm with just, well, number one, you give all the credit to Venice. Like, if if the fishing wasn't like it was, we wouldn't be like, you know. We wouldn't be around. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's just. Yeah, there's it, nothing else down here to do, so. There's only one reason people are coming down here, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's catch something. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you guys start Me Mexican Gulf Fishing Company, and you guys are running, like, three boats for a while. Um, what? I mean, you guys had on uh, Zach and then kind of just snowballed from there but and then how many boats we have now man it was tough because I, I remember when i wouldn't i guess like this was kind of right before we all got together and did mexican golf i remember i'd get in from fishing and i'd have damn it'd be april late april early may and i'd be booked for the rest of the year no days open and i'd have 20 messages when i got in from fishing that i got to re return calls and it's hard to keep up man, with man, I'm, it's incredibly hard and yeah. you're returning all these calls and you have no trip no days so now i gotta try and write all these people's name and numbers down in the day they want and try and cross reference with everybody and do all in and man that's like i said it just got so much easier to st have one website have one right. person handling everything like yeah, and then the online booking came around. Yeah. Huh? That was like a big a big step where you can see the calendar yep. and they can pick and kind of yep. definitely made it, it <laughs> makes made, it a made lot easier. life a lot easier. Yeah. A lot lot easier. Yeah. It's hard and I feel like Venice kind of like 
I mean, a place like this, not just Venice, but a like smaller place like this is kind of behind the times whenever it comes to that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's behind the times for everything. Yeah, yeah. Besides which the boats. Is, <laughs> which is what we love about it, right? <laughs> right, right, right. It is. Yeah, you, whenever you come down here to Venice, you definitely feel like, I don't know, you're in a fishing town. <laughs> yeah. You're there to it's, fish. You feel like you're there to fish. You you're know? there to fish. You just... <laughs> You just do what you do, and everybody else does what they does, and who right. cares? Like, yeah. nobody – like, there's no – it's just laid back. You know, it's the most politically incorrect place in the world, and right. that's why I love it. Yeah. So, um, the fishing, like, you've already kind of alluded to it a little bit, but, I mean, it's kind of a common knowledge that a lot of the guys is, that have been doing this as long as you will say it's, you know, it's not a tenth of what it used to be. I mean, would you say that's true? I don't think it's that small of a percentage of what it used to be, but there, I, I wouldn't say that I see as many fish as I used to. But, like but, see when you're out there? Yeah. I mean, I remember we used to spend a lot of time chasing fish in open water. and Really? Oh, man. Just a tremendous amount of time. And it was almost always a waste of time, but you can't help it. I mean, you're riding and you see a big school of fish come up, you're going to chase them, you know. But right. it was it was always hard. They're hard to catch and, and – I don't know. We just – you don't see that anymore, Harley. I mean, it's pretty rare yeah. to see – you know, once you get in the fall, you see more than you do now with the mullet and the pogies offshore. But this time of year, May, June, July, you just you just don't – you don't see as many. But with that being said, I used to go to spend a whole entire day at a floater in July or August and see 10 million fish jump and catch three. You know? Yeah. Now I go there, I don't see any jump, and I catch 12. <laughs> so yeah. are there not as many? Have we trained them? I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to that say, question. right? I mean, we, we definitely, we've definitely teaching these fish bad habits. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> it definitely seems like, would you say that the the would, the, would the tunas be there if the rigs weren't? Would they be, would they be more migratory? Uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. You think I so? I would think they'd be more migratory. There'd be nothing to hold them there. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that I find so interesting about, like, you know, Louisiana is such a unique place. Whenever you put all the things into the equation, whenever all the all the water that comes from Montana to Pennsylvania all the way down here and mixes with the loop current, and then you got a bunch of rigs on top of that. It's almost like we're the catalyst for whatever, like, kind of like what's going to be the future for attracting fish yeah, you know? it's a perfect storm it is a perfect storm for making fish in a way you know and it's it's really it's really cool it's amazing to see anybody that's never seen it you know how can you not, not tell them to come down here and check it out right yeah sure definitely is um man so like when when was um have you caught like what's your biggest yellowfin tuna people would love to hear that <laughs> personally or just on the boat on the boat you're captain right yep 223 223 yep. any significance to that fish really not really man just 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 another fish it bit got tail wrapped and died and came in pretty quick caught it quick got lucky <laughs> got tail wrapped <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not a i'm not a real big chomer so i don't catch terribly many fish over 200 pounds right i prefer to you a big time live baiter, right? Live baiter yeah. or anything but chumman just kinda <laughs> anything like a, but chumman. It's like kind of a drag <laughs> to me. But uh <laughs> but I mean it's effective. Uh, most all the biggest fish every year seem to come off of chumman, so Right, right. 
That's they pretty get cool. Fat and lazy, I guess. What about your biggest blue marlin? You got any? Uh, maybe biggest one I've ever caught, I would guess, it would be around 600 pounds. Yeah. Biggest one I ever weighed was just over 400. Um, mm. Dude, you remember that uh, that blue marlin you caught the shrimp boats? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh, tell, tell them about that. that. That was pretty wild. That, that was one of the most bizarre things I had ever seen. That was pretty crazy. We pull up behind a shrimp boat and – and uh, me and my deckhand are standing there, and we throw out a couple pieces of bait, and, and instantly some 100, 150-pound tuna start rolling on the side of the boat. So we both got our heads down. We we hooked a bait on and gave it to the guy on the boat, and he instantly hooked a bonita, and we saw that it was a bonita. <laughs> and he's he's fighting it. We got our heads down, and we're trying to get other bigger baits out to the elephant we saw. And he goes, man, it's a blue marlin. And we're both of us kind of look at each other like, what a what a moron. I mean, it's, it's clearly a... <laughs> no way. It's clearly a bonita. We both saw it eat. We, we gave you the rod because it was, a, you know, it's a bonita. We know it's a bonita. He's like, man, it's a blue marlin. And we were like, what? <laughs> and by this time, we hooked up big baits, and we both threw out our baits, and we doubled up on, you know, nice tunas, 100, 120-pound yeah. tunas. And uh, the guy's like, I'm telling you, it's a blue marlin. And as I look at him, like, like how could you be so dumb? <laughs> Right on the other side of them, a blue marlin started jumping. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, goddamn, it's a blue marlin. <laughs> and you're 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 in an area where you wouldn't typically no, see we're a lot 200 of 200 feet of water. We're behind a shrimp boat, way up shallow on the east side of the river. Like the water was blue, so you know, stranger things have happened. But but yeah, you're not expecting to see a blue marlin in there. And and it was a bonita, but the blue marlin had eaten his bonita that was on a rind. He, he's fighting the bonita. It's right on side of the boat. The blue marlin comes out, eats the bonita on side of the boat, and starts. And he's yelling blue marlin because you know he sees it, and we got our heads in the boat, and we don't. <laughs> so we didn't see it. And sure enough, the fish starts jumping, taking off, and we're kind of more worried about the tunas because that's what we, you know, that's what people are here for. That's what pays the bills. Yeah, yeah. so that's what pays the bills. So we catch the tunas, and and. By the time we catch them, we start to idle after this marlin, and I mark some more fish, and we throw out a couple more baits and hook them with the tuna. I think we wound up catching four tunas before we went to go after the marlin. We finally we go after the marlin, and we get up and down on it, and it's like just dead weight. I mean, like nothing. It's like it's stuck on the bottom or something, you know? Right. And we pull on and pull on and pull on. Finally, we it comes loose, and we reel it up. And this marlin had, had just jumped itself out, I guess, and it went to go dive, and it – stuck its face in the mud and just got stuck in the mud and it must have looked like a little corn dog down there for all those little baby sharks because they just picked it clean <laughs> picked we, it clean and we pulled it out the mud and it's the whole entire bill all the way to its eyes would cover with mud and the rest from be behind the gills all the way to the tail there wasn't an ounce of meat it was just it's crazy it stayed hooked i mean I, well it's like, crazy that they didn't bite through its backbone <laughs> yeah, it was just like I'll post a picture with it this like cartoon. I'll, I'll post a picture with this podcast, but literally guys, this blue marlin looked like you said like a freaking corn dog. It, it with looked no like hot a cartoon like a, uh, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon when the cat would take the tail fish by the tail and put it in the whole thing in his mouth and pull it back out and yeah. it would be the head and the tail and just back the bone. That's all it was. You had I mean, the, it was you wild. had the the head and the tail and And it wasn't small. I mean, it was I measured it. It was that's the only reason why I brought I, <laughs> that's the crazy thing to me is that i actually measured it because i was thinking man if i get pulled over and this thing is like 97 inches and right. it's not legal yeah. even though there's not an ounce of meat on it i'll probably get in trouble so i measured it, it was 102 103 inches so it was it's 400 350 400 pounds, pounds. yeah 
not after the – I mean, it was 50 <laughs> pounds of it less. I remember seeing that thing hang up at the marina, and I was like, holy shit. This is, it was wild. That is the wildest thing. Like, in the I'll post it with this podcast, but that's crazy, crazy story for sure. Have you ever seen a marlin get eaten by a shark? No, other not than like that. that. Not like I that. I mean, I've seen a marlin with a bite out of it or two or something. Right, right. But uh, every other time I've ever seen it, it's always like big sharks, you know, so maybe they'll bite. If they bite, they might take the whole tail off or something, you know, but right. I think this must just have been all little, little four foot, I don't know, little sharks because – any big ones would have bit through the backbone for sure. That's crazy. It must have been a gazillion. Yeah. <laughs> they were full after that one. <laughs> what is a, what's like another significant catch that you would like kind of put up there with one of your tops? I mean, you told us about the 45-pound Wahoo, that big blue marlin, big tunas. Man. What's your biggest cobia? <laughs> Not very big. Really? 60 pounds maybe. Really? No, I I've saw never got a I giant saw a giant one years and years ago, but we we pulled up to a couple of rigs that aren't there anymore in West Delta, and some forty pounders came on the surface, had three rods ready, and we hooked three of them, and a fourth one came up that I thought was a shark to come eat the ones we had, but it wasn't. It was Jagungus. It was ginormous, <laughs> ginormous <laughs> cobia, but. That's what I always think about. If you ever do see a hundred pound cobia, like what I cobia fish with, might not. Yeah, you might want to step up your game a little bit. Huh? <laughs> it might not get them. <laughs> what I mean, here's here's how much those fish move. We saw them that afternoon on the way in. Couldn't get them to bite because we didn't have any rods ready. We were already all the rods we had set up for. It. By the time I got something else rigged up, it was too late. He was gone. We come in, and back then I was big spear fishing. Mm-hmm. told everybody once we were done with everybody we all got on the boat with spear guns tanks everything went straight back out to those spots never saw it went back there again the next day looking for it never saw it it was gone <laughs> he's gone he knew it was breezed up. on through <laughs> How, so you guys used to dive a lot when did you guys do that when did you get into diving uh I'm a, i had a buddy of mine was a deckhand tim cuvion years ago and and uh he was real big on spear fishing and i'd never done any i'd never dove never spear fished any of it and he got me into it and man it's it's a lot of fun but you just you just run out of spare time to do you know certain do those things, of things yeah i feel like at and a, fat and out of shape and <laughs> i feel like at a point there was like diving got so popular almost because there was there was not that many people doing it and if there was, you never saw the amount of videos and stuff that you see online and stuff now. But it just seems like, I don't know, it just seems like there's fewer divers than what there was 15 years ago. We don't, it's a dangerous, back, yeah, it's yeah, a dangerous fi- About 15 years ago is probably about when I was doing it. Probably, actually, probably a little bit longer ago. And yeah. uh, and that was, man, you, all you heard about was the sea tigers and the hell, di- uh, hell divers. And they had all the big competitions. And so, yeah, I, I definitely feel like it was more popular back then but maybe it's just you know all my friends have gotten old and they're not doing it anymore yeah so. no sometimes i wonder if that's it if i'm just so involved in the fishing fishing realm of things that i mean there there is still dive clubs the hell divers the sea tigers deep water mafia they're all i mean they're they're still doing it they're still putting on rodeos and stuff so but it seems like i don't know i meet a lot of people that used to do it you know what i mean yeah, none of the old. charter captains we're getting old. <laughs> all the charter captains don't seem to like 
do I mean there's some I guess I do it there's a few there's definitely a few that do it still but um yeah well um is there anything other stories you want to ask or tell no, before no man it's just in general it's just it's just been a good life yeah it's been sure. a lot of fish a lot of met a lot of great people you know a lot of people are hopefully are lifelong friends and yeah that's one of the coolest parts about this job, huh? It's all yeah. the people you get to meet. <laughs> yeah. It really, I mean, it really is. I got a lot of people that I go hunting with, and, man, it's like, you know, it's pretty wild. Yeah. That just you can get paid to do what we do for a living, <laughs> right? Make friends and entertain them, right? Man, it's, it's wild. I mean, it really is. I never, you know, I'll, I'll never take this for granted. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing job to be able to, like, do what you love. You know, I... I, I try not I try not to take it for granted because I know there's so many people out there that don't get to do what they love. You know, they have to do something to you something know something terrible they hate that they hate. Yeah. yeah, and they and a lot of times they come fishing with us to get away from it. You yeah. know, and it it's cool to provide that service for them too. You know, their yeah. getaways to come yeah, hang I mean, out with I, us. You know, and I'm, it kind of adds a weird dynamic to the job sometimes. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you take. You take dads and sons. Yeah. You know, you take, I've had three generations on a boat before. And not only that, I had one time, I had a grandfather, a, a father, and a son. So three generations. And the guys came with us. We had a pretty good day. I mean, we didn't kill it, but we had plenty, plenty of fish. Caught, you know, a handful of tunas, a big old wahoo. Had a pretty good day. And uh, the guy called me about a month later. And told me that, and, you know, his dad was not doing that great. The, old, the grandfather wasn't doing that great. And he called me and said, man, I just want to thank you for that trip. That was, like, the most amazing trip ever. Like, I'm sorry to say, but my, my dad has passed. Like, I knew that he wasn't going to last much longer. And we just, and that's a bucket trip he'd always wanted was to go to Venice and go fishing. And you were everything. The trip was everything we could have ever imagined and then that became like an annual thing for him and his son. Yeah. So they kept not only did I get to experience it that with him and his son, but I got to continue with the next generation. Yeah, just yeah. like just I mean, you I've know, done that several times for people, you know, their 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 dad's getting older or whatever they come they'll even say this might be our last fishing trip, sure. you know, I mean it happens from time to time and it's I mean it's a, it's very honorable to be able to be put in that situation you know to to, yeah. to provide that for him and those those trips to me are sometimes the most stressful like you want like there's certain there's certain trips you where you really want to absolutely. catch it and it's usually the hardest whenever you want it the most absolutely <laughs> it definitely happens i think like you can that. definitely try too hard sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you think about uh luck you feel like some people just got luck about them absolutely <laughs> but you make your own luck yeah you do I do. You you can definitely make your own luck, but it's always bizarre to me how certain clients you just get excited oh, about. Oh, man, you're talking about <laughs> clients. Yeah, some people just got the lucky horseshoe. It's wild to me, man. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can catch nothing for a month, and they show up, and it just busts wide open. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Some people just got it. Some people got the rabbit's foot in them. Somewhere. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, one of the questions I always like to uh, finish up on um, is, um, like, Venice is going to be – basically, 
what do you think the future of Mexican Gulf and Venice is here, and maybe even in the terms of conservation? Like, what more do you think us as fishermen can do to like further this fishery? Maybe, maybe help. I mean, because like you're to me, to me, you've always. I mean, maybe this is in my eyes, but I've always looked up to you and the guys that had done it before me to tell me, you know, what's um how not to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's not right? Because I think everybody should turn to people that have been doing it a lot, lot longer than them for advice, you know. So what do you think we can do, you know, pressing forward to kind of steer this conservation in the right way? Well, it's always kind of that delicate balance when you do this for a living. I mean, you you rely on catching fish for a living, right? Yeah. So you have to catch fish. Without killing fish, you, your business is going to dry up pretty quick. So. Yeah. And it's in, in a, it's in us. We have to have food to eat, right? <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. But, man, it's just we've gotten to the point where our boats cost so much. Everything costs so much. Yeah. You have to charge so much. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, when you get on the fish, the conservation things is tough for me because – you know, you can't just – you can't kill it all. Right. You know, you got to leave some. Yeah. But, well, like, who who dictates what's too much? Do you, ki- exactly. do you keep enough for that night? Exactly. Do you stop I mean, after the, one tuna? The or federal government you? says three. I think that is obscene. Right. I mean, if you got six people, you're going to catch 18, 16, 60-pound tunas? I mean, that's just that's, god-awful that's amount. That's too I mean, much. There's, right. Like, I can't imagine possibly – I mean, for, for example, when – I'm getting ready to go home. If I catch a you know good box of tunas, I'll get one chunk of fish, about the size of two fists. Yeah, that's all you want, right? And well, my wife and I'll eat it three times. Yeah, and there'll be some left over. Like <laughs> I mean, and but at the same time, I get it. Like you coming from, you don't get to get it again next week like I do. You know, you're right. from Oklahoma. This is your one trip a year. Like right. I get it. So. Uh, it's tough. It's it's quite a yeah. It's tough whenever you put yourself in your shoes. You're doing it every day, and yeah. then you put yourself in the customer's shoes, and he's like, "I'm paying all this money, and I'm coming once a year." You know, that's something we don't do. I hear it every day. That's something we don't do that often, man. We really want to get some fish for our freezer, you know. And it's I don't. It is a tough. It's a really tough thing to grasp. What do you do? Do you do you become a fly fisherman and only catch and release fish? I mean, that's not real life. Oh, I mean, well, we got That's not even fun, man. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's what kind of kind of like that's what I live for is when they're biting good and you're just slaying it. You know, that's, right? Right. I mean, that's that's be, what we develop doing, yeah, right? I don't want to be cutting them all off, but at the same time, I don't want to kill everything in the sea you know it's it's, and that's why my big my big focus and one thing i try to push a lot on the podcast is like i hope that everybody is huge advocates for like making more habitat more i don't know if there's ever going to be a a way that we could do it but making more like rigs or something that attracts fish you know more habitat out there you know would definitely help I've been trying. Leaving the rigs out there. I've been trying. I've been talking. To, I've tried talking to everybody I can talk to. I've talked to the guy for uh, the the uh, artificial reef for Louisiana. I've mm-hmm. talked to the Louisiana Charter Boat Association. 
I spent a couple hours on the phone with a guy, Kelly Windis, I think is his name, that, that pioneered all the fads. They put off the coast of Florida and Alabama. That's so awesome, that's, man. That's what they're what doing. We need here. That's what we need. Yeah, that's what we need, we need here. I can't get any traction. I've been trying. I, really? I, I can't. I mean, it's, So it, you want them to put more fads out here for fishing? Well, absolutely. Right. Why not? Right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you got the, the most perfect situations to do it here. You got Big Arco. It comes up to 150 feet deep. Toss something to it. How easy would it be to put a buoy there? Right. You got Lena. It's laid down on the bottom. It's God knows how long. Put a buoy on each it's end. It's a freaking relic. <laughs> yeah. You got 486 sitting over there. Perfect spot. Put a buoy on it. Like, why You don't not? even need a anchor. You yet. don't even need an anchor. Just attach it to existing Just Put a rigs. cable there. And, hey, know. look. And, and he after talking to him for a long time, he said one of the biggest obstacles they had was the whole environmental deal. Making sure it wasn't a migration route for a whale or something. What? Well, if Lena stood there, obviously we can put a buoy there, right? Like, <laughs> right, you would think we can so. Do all, we can do away with all this environmental stuff. It's already, supposedly, it's already been done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so why not? Why not? Right. That's, you know, I've, I've never heard, yeah, it is all about the money for sure. But, it, you know, I've never heard that because one of the things that, you know, I think the first step with removing rigs was they said, all right, we're going to leave some of them there. We're going to leave part. They they just started doing the cutoff rigs. And that's that's great and all, and it's great for it's your not, bottom not fish. Not for pelagics? Not for, not for anything. Your cobias, your triple tail, your, your wahoos, your tunas, all that kind of – basically everything we fish for a lot, you know, is all in that top third of the water column. And sure. if you don't have structure there, it's just – and and I really believe when you have these structures, they make more fish. It makes it easier for them to live, and they it's not that you you put something out there and you're not just attracting fish. You're I think you're making it easier for them to live, and you're ma you're making more fish. You know, well anywhere you can put you put something out there, you're gonna attract the bait. You're gonna make more bait. Yeah. There's more feed for fish, so it makes their lives easier. Yeah, yeah, and you hear a lot of, like, success stories about, like, in Costa Rica, how all the fads they have down there and the numbers of billfish that they're putting up is... It's, a, it's insane. It's insane. It really is. And the crazy thing to me is, is, like, we have so much stuff out there already. You know what I mean? Like, we just want to add some other things. It's not like people are foreign to watching out for things in the water around here. You know, people are constantly looking for things well, out in the water here. I kind of hate to say stuff like this because God knows I'll probably be the guy that hits it. But if you got a giant-ass rig out there and it's out of service and they don't pick it up and you hit it at night, I mean, you got to just – Darwin comes into play at some point, right? Right, yeah. I mean, right, I mean, yeah. If, you if, can't like I mean that's the way America work, works you know they want to sue the shit out everybody wants to sue the it's shit a new out American everybody. dream nobody wants to work for him or <laughs> sue it <laughs> sue him right but yeah I mean I I if there was a way that we could change a law to where it was like you know if you hit something that's on you nobody's liable for that well you, know? you can't well you can't sue the federal government right so all these oil companies that have these rigs out here say Lena it I don't know how much money it took to remove it but I know it wasn't cheap. Probably not. Say it was, <laughs> say five million dollars. I don't know. I'm just making up a number. Say it was five million dollars to have Lena start, and I'm the last person to ever say start another branch of the government because I think it's just too much government already. But, but in this case, start another branch of the government. If it's five million to remove that rig, put it in the pot, right. and the government can take over. They can do a little bit of maintaining lights or whatever, and 
You know, yeah. Lena could still be there. Yeah. Uh, 486 could still be there. Big Arco could still be there. All these rigs that, you know, of course, I'm being selfish talking this because I rely on them to make a living. But at some point, I mean. Yeah. But, I mean, there's so there's such a big desire. Like, you know, whenever you guys took me hunting up, up to uh, Mississippi, it was my first time hunting, and I saw, like, you got one guy that, or a, a couple guys that really love to hunt. And so they buy all this land and they make it really conducive for the animals sure. and they, they make it to where, and it's like, well, if they didn't do all this, none of these animals a would food even plot be here. Is a rig. Right. Exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. And it's like, at what point are like fish? I mean, I feel like we already have it's, talking about this. You know, we do a lot of artificial reefs and stuff, but giant fads. Like if somebody were to start, building these rigs to to attract fish not to drill oil but to attract fish what could we make you know what i mean like as as like if this stuff because to me it seems like fishing's only going to get more popular people are always going to need a, a natural source of food you know at what point are we going to start you know is somebody going to start instead of having buying the next yacht a five ten million dollar yacht Who's gonna start buying a rig and making a big old camp where they can just fly their helicopter out oh, there? Yeah, you know, that, that would be. I mean, that's the way to do it, though. You know, you got somebody with a lot of money that likes to fish and they want to camp somewhere. I mean, to me, it seems like a matter of time before somebody does it, and then it's gonna be a measuring competition <laughs> who's got the best, who's got the best camp out on the water. Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of money. But I mean, that is good. That is a good analogy. Someone buying land and putting food plots. I mean, you. You 100%, you increase the carrying capacity of the land you by doing so. You make the environment so. better. You yeah. increase the carrying capacity of the land. So, I mean, wouldn't you think that would hold true on the water? Like you put a bunch of rigs in and you have all this bait and everything, you increase the carrying capacity of the water. Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels whenever it comes to hunting conservation to like, I mean, you've been hunting your whole life, right? Mm. Not much. No, not really. Not till I, you know, started hunting when I was 20 <laughs> something, I guess. Before I understand, <laughs> before now I understand, there's so much more big game in North America compared to what there used to be. You know, well, I mean, sure, it's pretty very common knowledge, you know, and it's wild to see how yeah, whitetail numbers have really skyrocketed because because of the conservation efforts of yeah, it's of because of the amount because of people of that hunters. it's because of so the amount of people that anti hunters <laughs> they say we shouldn't be hunting. <laughs> it drives me bananas, dude. They, yeah, they, it drives they, me they, crazy. You know, how about just go learn on the subject before you talk on it? Yeah. What about like land management? You know, like we like whenever you have a land where you're trying to have a lot of deer, you don't want the coyotes there, you don't want the wolves there, you don't want the bears there. Oh, you getting at sharks? Yeah, I'm getting at sharks, mm. man. How you feel? We got a big problem with sharks or oh, what? Oh my god. <laughs> I I can't think of a strong enough word in the English language <laughs> to describe how bad the shark problem is right now. It's uh, it's, it's getting worse every year. Yeah. It's unreal. You can't you just can't. Like you can't there's I I'd say what you can't do, but let's just say you can't cuz right. think of whatever you're thinking about doing, 90% of the time you can't cuz the sharks won't let you. Right. Yeah. It's like you go out there and there's so many days where you work so hard to to do it, to get this right and sharks you can't mean not having it you can't <laughs> right i talked to some biologists from uh noah i guess not that long ago and uh and it's so funny because when you talk to them they want to ask you a question about a red snapper and you it doesn't matter what do you mean doesn't matter 
I mean, it doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because anywhere you go, anything you try to do, the sharks are going to take them from you. Like, you say my limit's two per person. I got six people on board. That means I could catch 12 snapper and be done. Right now, I'm lucky if it's – if I mean, a lot of days you, you just – you just can't catch enough. The sharks take them too much. You just take them. Yeah. yeah. And you know what they say? Yeah, we've heard there's a shark problem. <laughs> so you're aware. <laughs> Let's do something about it. It's bananas to me that that's the only species that they've chosen to protect. Yeah, snapper. Completely. Yep. Well, not, not snapper, sharks. Like, there's not a – like, we have seasons on snapper. You can't catch them at certain times of year. But they – Certain sharks, there's no take. They're completely prohibited from from getting taken at all. We haven't done that with any fish, and we kill way more of them, right? Like, we kill way more snapper than sharks now, for sure, or tunas so, than sharks. I don't know how many years ago, ago it was, but it was back when, when wolves were kind of on the brink, right? And uh, Yellowstone said, no no taking, you know, got, got to protect the wolves, protect the wolves. Well, they're the predators, right? The population explodes. Next thing you're like, well, we don't have nearly the elk and mule deer fawns and stuff. Like, our numbers are really dwindling. Well, yeah, dumbass. Yeah. You can't – you you got to manage a population. You can't – You can't just – yeah. You can't just manage one something in there. you got to manage all of it together. It's got to be well balanced. It's got to be balanced. You can't – you can't just have everybody taking everything out to sea except for something, right? Like, right? You gotta if in in all these people that are saying that sharks are ninety seven percent gone. Yeah. Oh man, kind of, only three percent of sharks are left in the ocean. I dare them, some bitch, to come swim a lap around the come <laughs> a couple of these rigs out here. There ain't no fucking way. They ain't coming. <laughs> they come, but they'll look in the water. They're not jumping in. Yeah. You pull up and there's fifty sharks looking at you. Yeah. It's I think a lot of what that mainstream is is they like prey upon people's emotions and it makes them feel bad if people kill sharks cuz they knew back in the day we like wipe sharks out and so like people have this it's like an emotional attachment to the sharks in some weird way. I don't know well, where I can it comes go out from. of certain places even here. You can go to a certain spot and just stop the boat. There'll be no sharks. Yeah. You're counting at the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you it's gotta, it, you know, I, it, it's easy to say that. I mean, I've I've had a, a a a professor at Mississippi State come on and talk to me about, and he's like he specializes in sharks, and it's like they're aware of it. You know, they know. I mean, if you go out there and fish, they know that there's too many aware. sharks. That's what I'm saying. Everybody's but aware. But it's it's weird. Like, why can't we do anything about it? That's I don't my point. It. It's so strange to me that there's nothing that we can really, you know. Well, there's something you can do. <laughs> but still, like, even if you want, like, even if you wanted to be a charter captain that just targeted sharks and you were the Mark the Shark of Venice, which would help, I think, there's still a lot of sharks you cannot take, you know. Well, sure. And it's, it's just, I don't know. And most of the ones that we don't want there are protected a good many in, of them and <laughs> in, in most of the ones a lot of the ones that are protected are kind of more pelagic sharks right and you see when this started happening was around pretty much where it really got out of control is after uh the oil spill after 2009 right after yeah. the, after the oil spill and you used to see long line sets Nonstop. You run offshore, you come across three, four long lines if you ran to Devil's Tower or something, you know. Nowadays, you never see long lines out there. 
Never. I can't remember the last time I saw a long line out there. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. I remember I started – I saw them my first couple of years down here. Sure. But why do you think they got rid of them? Is that why? No reason? Man, I, I know. I'm sure, like, I'm sure they were getting paid for a while after BP. I don't know why they haven't come back by now, but maybe. I don't know. But most of your long liners, they were fishing for pelagics like tunas and stuff. Yeah, right? but yeah. you – Put a, they, a lot of hooks out. Ten you're gonna miles get sharks. of hooks with bait on it, and you're gonna catch all those pelagic sharks that are giving us hell now. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, it does. <laughs> and I mean, I'm I'm no biologist. I can't say that's what the deal is, but I can tell you before then, before the oil spill, we didn't have as much problems with sharks as we do now. That's for sure. Right. We what was like some of the big. Like that, like that was a big change in our fishery, right? Like the the sharks kind of like they something something happened. They stopped catching as many of them. They started protecting more of them, and now we have a lot more sharks. Is is there any other changes that you can see, like you can tell from like the '90s, um, early 2000s to like now? That's like big. Like I don't know. Some some one of the guys was saying they never used to see the pogey balls out there like they no, do now. No, never ever. We used to see giant schools of mullet offshore. You don't ever see that anymore. I mean, we never would see the pogies offshore. Really? And now it's like a whole entire two-month thing. That's what you go looking for. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? That's Yeah. I wonder what that is. I mean, and they're fishing for more. Like, they're fishing for the pogies more certainly, than I, I certainly wouldn't say there's more pogies now than there was back then. I mean, all I can think is there was, there's, there's obviously less land now yeah i don't know if for whatever reason there was more land to where there was more the salinity was right closer to shore where they didn't have to go so far offshore to get to the right salinity to spawn i don't know right i mean i don't i don't know too much about a pogey's lifestyle uh, and there's also like weird changes like in the last maybe year and a half or so we've seen more 200 pound tunas than whenever i first started down here well really we started to see more 200 pound tuna once we started fishing off the, on the east side and fishing that that east lump instead the of the midnight lump, lump. but which, you don't feel like there's been which, like there was which a makes you wonder were they there the whole time yeah were they yeah i don't know that's weird too like you guys used to fish the west side of the river a lot more and now it's more of like east yeah. side uh, <laughs> well i think I th if i had to guess i would say there's probably always been a lot of really big tunas in close yeah in shallow water they're just hard to catch. Like, they're just nomads, I think. They just swim around, and they might stop at a rig for a little while and feed or whatever, but I don't think it's something that they just – where you're offshore and you're fishing by a rig, I don't think it's really going to work. Right. Well, now we got all these pogey balls offshore. Well, that's going to attract them, obviously, and keep them there for you to be able to catch them, and I think that's why they're being caught more. Uh, they, so you think they stay around? They're more – I would stay guess, here more. Well, there's more bait closer into shore. Yeah, I that mean, makes sense. So they're 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 able to stay there. And they're feed. able to stay there and feed. They got Spanish mackerel. They got. There's no reason for them to. There's, I mean, yeah. the, the, the smaller fish are offshore, and and then I think once they get bigger and if they move in a little bit, there's just the amount of bait inshore compared to offshore is just. You know, it's it's crazy to me too. We have residential stocks of almost everything in here in Venice besides bluefin tuna, and I wonder if there's ever going to be a point where there might be enough bait to where. The bluefin tuna end up staying here. If that was going to be the case, I would think it would have already been the case. 
way before, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And maybe it was. I just never heard. Nobody ever <laughs> noticed. I mean, I don't. They definitely come through here. They, well, there's definitely more. The last couple of years, there's more and more every year. It seems like it. No, sure. it there's 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. There's more every year the last handful of years, no. which is great. Yeah. A, you know, fishery success. I've heard some people say that's because the, the like a lot of people say the earth is getting warmer. Everybody's got their theories as to why the earth is getting warmer, but the fact is it's getting a little warmer. Maybe that's better for pelagic species. Maybe that's better for, you know. I mean, they say that the earth's greener because we have more carbon dioxide and there's more warmer areas, so there's a greener earth. So I wonder if sometimes that these, you know, certain species might benefit from warmer temperatures because whenever fish spawn it's very temperature oriented you know? i think uh i think if you're going to talk about a fish that's benefiting from warmer waters you might i'd say probably triple tail yeah I around think so. venice at least um but i don't think so i don't think so with bluefin bluefin been here forever yeah and you maybe know, they're doing a really good job at at managing well that's what know. i'm saying they're yeah. just doing a better job at managing and and I mean, the, the the management in the Gulf of Mexico drives me absolutely crazy. Like, it just boggles my mind that you can have a, a, a Gulf-wide quota of five, six fish when you glorify people killing them on the East Coast as fast as they can. Like, like this 500-pounder I catch in the Gulf of Mexico that I can't catch because you say it's a spawner. Like, if it's on the East Coast and it's 500-pound, it's not a spawner. It's still a spawner. It may not be actively spawning at the it's time, still but it's still a spawning stock. Like, <laughs> man, give me a break. It's Yeah, and they do things that are contradictory, like our red snapper season is in spawning season. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like it's, that's very strange to me whenever, you know, things like that happen as well. Talking about red snapper, do you think that there was a big difference in the size of red snapper from, like, early 2000s to, like, what we catch now? Or do you think there's – some like I remember from when I were, whenever I was real young, there was like a point where we used to catch a bunch of small ones, and then like a twelve pounder all of a sudden was like an average size fish. Well, like. I remember when I first started fishing here, and that was my first handful of trips that I ran. A lot of it was snapper fishing, and I think it was four fish per person, and I think the season was open all year, and man. It was hard to catch a lemon. <laughs> really? <laughs> hard, hard, especially during the summer. You know, like in the spring or in the winter, the fall or whatever, when it was cooler, it wasn't too bad. You could catch them. But, and, yeah, 12-pounder was a good, pretty good one. And then they started really cutting down on limit. And then it got to where, for a while, man, I think I remember it was like, what, we get like 10 days or something like that would yeah. be our whole entire season, two fish for 10 days. And, uh, man, they – they built up the mass so big that it was just like then we just got spoiled. It was like it wasn't fishing anymore. It was catching. You know? yeah. yeah, it was just like you would just pull up to a rig and it was two at a time. If it was the limit was two per person, you had six people. You drop six times, you catch twelve fish, and you go. You know. Yeah. That's the way I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I understand that you know that's probably a sign of overpopulation. You know yeah. so. But, yeah, the, the the fish, you know. I it, think to me it's like a way that they've, like, because there's actually, I've had some marine biologists say that there's signs of them being overpopulated because of what they're finding in their stomachs. 
if you know if they had a healthy population the snapper wouldn't be eating this certain little whatever the hell they were worms and stuff that they were eating but i mean it's kind of crazy to 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 me they're making an in, or we're making an imbalance in the ecosystem because of the season you know if you could keep you know three per boat year round and people you know harvest them year round rather than you got like a derby season now where it's like all right you got 60 days go snapper fishing and everybody hammers the shit out of them for two months and and then we're left with you know at the end of the season it gets tough (laughs) yeah real tough (laughs) right like real real tough i don't i don't necessarily think they're overpopulated at the moment anymore not out of venice at least no I don't necessarily think so. I think, but I think that whenever you like had like a ten day season for so many years, like what you were just saying, that like that that does it because you don't take any for so long, and then all of a sudden you take a bunch, and it just it it just messes with the ecosystem a lot. I think. I mean, ideally, you would want to take them out consistently, right? It is definitely a strange thing how it's been so targeted on. The red snapper. Yeah. When everybody talks about fishing limits and stuff, I mean, red snapper is what people talk about usually. You know? Yeah. No? Very strange. <laughs> that's that's one of the other things I told the, the NOAA people. is like, man, look. They said, is there any other fish you're worried about? I said, well, yeah, amberjack because we just don't have any of them anymore around Venice. And mangrove snapper. Those poor bastards are getting hammered. Hammered. Ten per person. That's what doesn't. That's what drives me crazy about the Gulf Council is, that, like they they make the in the way that they manage it all. Yeah, they need to be a little more proactive. Let's not wait till there's an issue. Right. You you can tell me ten mangrove per person year round per day year round, and you think that's okay? Like no, it's not okay. You're gonna wait until everything's so out of whack that we're gonna get twenty days to fish mangroves. And it's going to be two per person on them, too. How about let's go ahead and just cut them to five? Cut them to five, yeah. Do that. <laughs> and make the limit, uh, what is it, 12 inches? Let's make them 16. Yeah, let's go up on that, yeah. And and that's, like, so simple to do because, like, if you catch five or you catch ten, you still got them, right? Yeah. <laughs> you still, I mean, if you go out with six people on your charter, and people do it down here, and they'll go out there and catch 60 mangrove snappers. I mean, to me, Take after you to catch them, then he does to catch them. I mean, after you catch twenty-five, I feel like you got them and go do something else, you know, or go home. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, you go catch. You like I said, you got six people. You catch five. You got thirty mangrove, plus you got twelve red snapper, and you got you know a couple groupers, some something. odds and ends, maybe some, probably some cobias. Been pretty good year cobias so far. Yeah, Been a bunch of cobia around. So, I mean, it's just you know. It gets you back to that whole question we talked about earlier, like what's what's, what's enough? Too much. What's enough and what's too much? But that's the big difference between like guys like you and like a lot of the guys that I've talked to. You know, we think we should base limits off of what's too much, you know, and and on our, in our own mind is as to what's too much. But the the people that are making the rules, they they want to base it off of science and how many fish are actually out there. And they say, you know, so there's stocks yeah, of what, this. So what the stock can support. Right. And so that's that's where the conversation yeah, really gets remember, tricky. Remember, these are the same people <laughs> that were doing it the same way back that put the red snapper into the situation that they were in right. for a while. Right. They yeah. were trying to do the same thing back there, supposedly. I don't really buy it much. I think it's a lot of pressure from, you know, 
states that, and rightly so, it brings in a lot of money. Right. People come down, go fishing. It's a lot of tax and, you know, and yeah. and I got no problem with that. But it's like, man, you got to – that's great for this year, but let's worry about next year too, you know. Right, right. I just think if they would start making limits to where you can't harvest too much in some type of way. I don't know. The Bahamas, they make it to where you can only have 60 pounds of fish on your boat no matter what you got. You know, a lot of people, it's kind of a real gray area with the Bahamas, but I don't know. I don't know how you do it, but I do know that a lot of the fishermen down here will tell you that we have our limits are too high for certain fish. You know, some are managed great. I think some of like our redfish. I think I'm, that's what I was about to say. I red mean, redfish. I, I feel good. like we kind of figured it out. I really do. I feel like five we, per person with one over. Yeah, I mean, that's. And, and and if they wanted to make it a little better, let the gods stop keeping theirs. You know, make it to where the I don't keep mine, but like make it to where the gods stop keeping their limits. And I mean, how many redfish would you save if every god let let their <laughs> limit limit swim that day? You know, I mean, there's but you know that that's one example of a fishery that I think you know what it did suck and we made it better and it's still good now you know there's yeah. there's definitely ways we can do it <laughs> yeah no i mean there is definitely an imbalance that can be met it's just yeah i mean in a lot of ways i feel like the yellowfin tuna i mean like you know you said the limit you know federal limits three a person but the the charter boat guys have been pretty good about doing yeah. two a person sure and i mean how's the year been this year i mean how, how's the tuna fishing phenomenal it's been great right it's been phenomenal i mean tuna's been everywhere it seems like yeah <laughs> it's been a really really good year other than the fuel prices yeah <laughs> <laughs> fuel prices for sure man so one last question i know that I said that was my last one but um where like what do you think the future of mexican gulf is are we going to keep growing this thing you think uh what do you, what what is our like end goal with mexican gulf well, i'm not opposed to growing but you know i've never it's never been a growth oriented Right. You know, goal in my mind is is just, you know, we we like to collect talent, and if if we see some more talent come across the boards, we'll collect it if we can, you know. Yeah. So, I ain't ruling it out, but it's not it's not a goal. Yeah. It you know I I gotta thank you a lot for the uh, you know the platform that you guys have given me to try and like showcase my talent, try to do the inshore stuff and like kind of come around is that i mean it's it's been a really awesome ride and thank you guys a lot being, yeah no problem being able to be included with you guys and like you know you, you built up a clientele for 20 plus years down here and um like being able to kind of like tack on to that is just like it makes it makes my job even easier <laughs> and it's and it's fun it makes it a lot more fun because like all your all my customers are friends with you or, Kevin or any of the other guys, you know, it's it's really awesome. So I do appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem. It's been a pleasure having you. Awesome, man. Well, we'll wrap this one up, man. We almost did an hour and a half, so. Damn. <laughs> I do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, tight lines. <laughs> Absolutely. Same to you.